Our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,526. 1526. We'll also have the words on the screen for you. Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it find that their debt to God has been paid in full. This morning, uh, I had a question from Don about a passage of Scripture uh, that he didn't fully understand. And honestly, when I looked at it, I didn't fully understand. Um, but it... But it's times like that where we're reading through our Bible and we come to a section of Scripture and we kind of wonder, why is it there? Why is it in the Bible? Perhaps the words don't make any sense or they don't seem to fit in with the surrounding verses. It's almost like they're out of place. But instead of looking further into it, trying to figure out what that passage actually means, oftentimes we'll simply just ignore the words and continue on our merry way. We'll, we'll read what's next. How many of you have ever been there? I have. I'm pretty sure the first time I came upon our story for today, I had, I had no idea what was going on. But instead of asking questions or trying to think deeper, I took the lazy man's approach and, and just moved on. But when we take that approach to Scripture, when we are apathetic, we can miss out on something that God wants us to learn. Each and every word in this book that we call the Bible comes from God himself. These words are more important than any other document. They hold more wisdom than any self-help book that you'll find on the shelves. They speak more truth than any scholarly work. And they move the soul more than any great novelist could ever dream of doing. And that's why it is important for us to understand passages like the, like the one we have today, even if it seems out of place. We are now in the last half of Matthew's Gospel, and our, and our focus has shifted. Before, we were trying to figure out the, the identity of Jesus, that He is a Christ, the Son of the living God. However, now we are, we are trying to understand the implications of that identity. 
What does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ? For Him to be the Son of God? What was the mission of the Messiah? And what we discovered was, was that Jesus had a plan. That He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And central to this mission is the cross. That atoning sacrifice that only Jesus can make. But with this sacrifice comes a fundamental change in the way that God is worshipped. No longer are people required to bring their animal sacrifices in order to be cleansed and, and find forgiveness. No longer do, do they need the blood of goats and, and bulls in order to enter God's throne room. For the blood of Christ is of far more worth. Listen, Jesus' blood has the power to cleanse a man in a, in a way that not, nothing else can. For it goes deep within, changing a person's innermost being. But if there is no longer a need for these animal sacrifices, then there is no longer a need for the temple. You see, Christ's mission, particularly the cross, renders the temple null and void. It becomes obsolete. And so as we move forward, as we progress towards the cross, we, we will begin to feel this, this tension between Christ and that temple system. And it's not that the temple was bad. For it was established by God Himself. But it, but it had fulfilled its purpose, which was to point to Jesus, to a better sacrifice. But as for its ability to offer true forgiveness, the temple was inadequate. The old age was coming to an end, and the age to come was pressing forward. And it is in our passage for today that, that we start to feel this tension for the first time. Look at, look at verse 24. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. Jesus and his disciples had, had now made it back to Capernaum, the, the place where Christ began his ministries. Uh, if you remember, they had been in Caesarea Philippi beforehand. And, and, and what we see while, while they're, they're now there in Capernaum, Peter, he's approached by these collectors of the two drachma tax. Now, now who are they and, and what is this tax that they are collecting? Typically, when we think of taxes, we think of the state. Am I right? I mean, it's the government who, who taxes the people. And for Jesus' day, that, that would have been Rome. But what we read here is not a Roman tax. This wasn't Caesar trying to collect. And these men were not your normal tax collectors. They, they were not like Zacchaeus or, or, or Matthew, men who were considered traitors by their people. Rather, 
they, they were more likely Sadducees, members of the priestly class. For this two drachma tax, also known as the didrachma, it was a collection that was used for temple purposes. It was a levy on, on Israelite men specifically over the age of 20. The age when a man could both work and go to war. This, this is what we read about in our first scripture reading. Look again at Exodus 30, verse, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, When you take a census of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay, pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come on them when you number them. Each one who crosses over to those already counted is to give a half shekel, according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 garas. This half shekel is an offering to the Lord. All who cross over, those 20 years old or more, are to give an offering to the Lord. The rich are not to give more than a half shekel, and the poor are not to give less when you make the offering to the Lord to atone for your lives. Receive the atonement money from the Israelites and use it for the service of the tent of meeting. It will be a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord, making atonement for your lives. Now, there are a few things to know about this tax. And the first is that it was established by God. This was not a man-made tax, but one that the Lord, the Lord himself, had sanctioned. And so what these men were doing, these collectors of the didrachma, it was perfectly just. Second thing, this tax was a set amount. No matter your status in life, whether you're rich or poor, you would only pay a half shekel. The fact that, that, that every man would pay the same, it, it spoke to the, to the value of each life. No one person was worth more than the other. And finally, and most importantly, this tax was a ransom for a man's life. It's described as an atonement. Their lives were, were forfeit to God, and they must be redeemed. Well, now that we know the context of what is going on, it will help us to better understand what was happening in Matthew's Gospel. Let's, let's look back at our story. These, these Sadducees, uh, most likely Sadducees, who were asking Peter um, if his master was going to pay this tax, they, they were doing so in kind of an accusatory fashion. Now remember, Jesus and his, his disciples, they had just gotten back from Caesarea Philippi, and, and apparently while they were away, the time for this annual collection had taken place. This meant that Jesus and any of the 12 that were over the age of 19 were delinquent taxpayers. Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Thinking he was defending his master, Peter answered yes. But as we'll soon find out, Peter's defense of his Lord was misguided at, at best. Let's, let's look at the last half of verse 25. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? 
Having left the tax collectors, Peter was now back inside the house. And whether Jesus overheard Peter's conversation or if he just knew because he's Jesus, uh, he, he put to Peter this provoking question. What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? Have you ever had that feeling of instantaneous guilt, even when you're not sure what you did wrong? You know, when someone calls you out and you start thinking to yourself, uh-oh, how did I mess up this time? I have to imagine that this must have been how Peter had felt during this, this interaction. What do you think, Simon? Notice Jesus isn't calling him Peter. He isn't that rock who made that strong confession. He is simply Simon the fisherman. And the question that follows, in, in essence, it is a, a, a mini parable, if you will, a, and a minor rebuke meant to get Peter to think. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duties and taxes? From their own sons or from others? The answer is obvious, but let's, let's see how Peter responded. Look at verse 26. From others, Peter answered, then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. The sons are exempt. Living in the United States, the concept of anyone not paying their taxes sounds absurd to us. I mean, even the president, the, the, the highest office in the land, pays his taxes. But that's not the way it is in most other forms of government. And that's not the way it was during Jesus' day. No one expected Caesar to pay any taxes. And likewise, no one expected the son of Caesar to pay taxes either. I mean, that's the, that's the privilege of either being the king or, or being the king's son, being the heir to the throne. And, and that's the point that Jesus is trying to convey to Peter. Just as these royal sons are exempt from taxes that, that, that their fathers impose, so too Jesus is exempt from the tax that, that is imposed by his father. And so while Christ acknowledges the legitimacy of this tax, that it truly was an obligation to God, at the same time, He is the Son of God. He is exempt from this tax. You see, Peter was not thinking the way he should have. He had made this great confession concerning Jesus as a Christ, the Son of the living God, and yet he did not carry that confession over to its logical conclusion. He should not have assumed that Jesus needed to pay this tax. Do you see what's going on here? For, for, the, for, for the Sadducees, those who were collecting the didrachma, in their asking for Jesus to pay this tax, they had failed to recognize Jesus for who he truly is, the Son of God. But with Peter, he had failed in a different way. For, for though he recognized who Jesus was, he didn't understand what that identity meant in regards to the temple. It was his father's temple. God is the owner. And so the Son of God is exempt. 
But it's not just that Jesus is God's son. No. Uh, think, think about what that tax was meant for. What, what did we read in Exodus? The money was to be a ransom for their lives, lest the plagues of God fall upon them. But if one who is sinless, one who, who, who does not need to worry about God's plagues, then they do not need to pay for this ransom as well. Are you following? Jesus is exempt on two fronts. First, it was his father who was imposing this tax. And so as the son, he is exempt. And second, the, the purpose of this tax was to be a ransom, a ransom for their lives. But that ransom is meaningless when it comes to Christ, for he is sinless. And to think otherwise is either to misunderstand him or to misunderstand the intention of this tax. And for the, the collectors, it was the former, and for Peter, it was the latter. Nevertheless, Jesus would pay this tax. Look at verse 27. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Jesus would pay this tax so as to not cause an offense. Even though he had every right to say no, he would say yes out of his concern for the others. But isn't this the way of our Lord? I mean, if, if you think about it, his whole life is putting the other person first. He didn't have to become a man, but he chose to for our sake. He didn't have to come as a servant, but he chose to for our sake. He didn't have to go to the cross, but he chose to for our sake. And in the case of this temple tax, he didn't have to pay, but he chose to for the sake of those, those men who were collecting that tax. He did what was not required of him in order to win over those who had yet to know who he was. Such an example would eventually carry over to those who claim to be disciples of Jesus. Think of the Apostle Paul who, who, who said this, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all men, so, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. The Apostle Paul did many things that were not required of him. And he did it for the sake of others. 
this was a lesson that he learned from his master, from Jesus. Dear friends, this is your calling as well. If you are a disciple of Christ, then you are to set aside your privileges for the sake of others. If you claim Jesus as your master, then you are to follow in his footsteps as he became a servant to all and even paid this temple tax. He paid that fee, that ransom fee that was not required of him. But not only did he pay this tax for himself, but he provided for Peter as well. And he did so in a most fascinating way. Go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish that you catch and open his mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. Now what is going on here? Was this the only way that Jesus could get this money? Was Christ so broke that he had to find coins in the mouth of a fish? Of course not. This was an object lesson for Peter. Jesus was going to pay his ransom, and he would do so in a way that Peter could not. Remember, Peter was a fisherman. He knew how to fish. But I'm sure he had, like Jeff was saying earlier, I'm sure he had never caught a fish with a coin in his mouth. Only Jesus could do such a thing. In a similar manner, only Jesus can truly pay a ransom for a man's life. Look at Psalm 49, verses 7 through 9. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. Think about it. Can a two drachma coin really make atonement for sin? Or for that matter, can the blood of a goat or the blood of a bull? Of course not. These things were just types and shadows of the true sacrifice that was to come. The purchasing blood of Jesus. But this was a point, was it not? That the temple was obsolete. It represented a system that was inadequate to appease God's wrath. But that's where Jesus comes in. For he pays a tax that cannot be paid by either you or me. For the ransom is too great. And he does so even though he is the Son of God and exempt from that tax. It is by his blood that your sins are paid for. It is by his atoning sacrifice that, that you can even enter into God's throne room. For his blood is costly and of far more worth than a mere two drachma. And because he does this, because he pays for your tax, he pays for your ransom, you too are exempt. Look at, look at Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. 
But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has, also made, God has made you also an heir. If this is you, if you have turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus, in His precious blood that He shed on the cross, then you are a child of God. You are a son. You are a daughter. And as the offspring of the Almighty King, you are also an heir to His kingdom. There, there's no more ransom that needs to be paid. The cost is taken care of. For the sons and the daughters of God are exempt. Believe this good news. That your life has been redeemed. It has been paid in full. Not by you, but by the very one who, who didn't need to pay it in the first place. For it was paid by Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let us pray. Father, we confess to you that that we are not worthy of your Son. He's given His all to us and, and has purchased us. Purchased us out of, uh, out of our bondage to sin. He has paid the, the, the ransom for our lives. A price that, that we could not pay. Aid us now by the power of your Holy Spirit as we seek to walk as sons and daughters of you. A free people who are exempt. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.